Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Harvey Hanlon. This is the second time I've had Dr. Hanlon on the podcast and we talked about uh, carotenoid use in macular degeneration and also carotenoid use outside of macular degeneration in patients who have uh, contrast sensitivity issues. And then how can we know that um, carotenoids are getting where they need to get? There's some new exciting technology that we discussed. I, I actually was uh, totally surprised by this technology, which is great. Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to build with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be built together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. So Harvey, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate you doing that. And, and what I had originally asked for, although I think it's kind of a bigger topic, I had originally asked because I hadn't talk, talked about macular degeneration on the podcast for specifically for quite a while. And, um, and so I want to start there, but I also want to start talking about, you know, carotenoids, um, just, you know, uh, more applicable beyond macular degeneration. So when you think about macular degeneration in your practice, um, and as when, you know, I know you, I know you sold your practice recently and, and you're not, a, you're, you're not in clinical practice anymore, but when you think about the, your clinical practice, 
What were sort of the uncertainties that you felt in your career or that you may feel other doctors find in, in their careers dealing with and managing patients with macular degeneration? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think early in my career, because I go pretty far back, back in the Clearly. 70s, <laughs> uh, obviously the technology back then was nothing like it is today. So I think what changed for me in macro degeneration was the evolution of the technology, which allowed me to be much more confident when I was seeing patients about the specific situation uh, that they had in their, in their eye health. You know, we... Um, uh, always thought that our slit lamp was our best instrument. I always learned that my OCT turned out to be my best instrument because it told me a whole <laughs> lot. Uh, between that and my Optus, uh, I felt very comfortable. So that I think the change for me was being able to feel confident in the identification of the disease process and what was going on after we dealt with the typical history, which is really critical and the potential risk for the patient. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that's because once you can show a patient what you're talking about, even when the signs are really subtle, you know, it, go, it transitions from uh, the conversation of like, well, I'm seeing some birthday changes inside of your eyes or some aging spots inside of your eyes to the to being because you're kind of hedging a little bit to being able to say, you know, this is what I'm seeing. These are this is birthday changes, but these are called drusen or these are RPE disruption. This is and you can show the patient that, and so it, it leads leaves this ambiguity about what you're seeing clinically in, in, and also you, what you can document. There's this other sort of concern I think a lot of us have, or maybe had have, is like, this is a really small change. Do I need to un, like worry a patient about this? How, how far do I go? And so I got to hedge a little bit. Do you think that's, that's true, having those imaging devices help us with that confidence and, and communication? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, the way I had it set up in my office was that the uh, OCTs, Optos, were always in the exam room when I went in to see the patient. So part of my exam was reviewing everything with them, explaining what the what the actual layers are the first time, especially, and and then what we're looking for and what was different in their situation versus the norm when that occurred. So I think I think to your point, uh, Harvey, of what you were discussing was that um, that removing that uncertainty within the patient, and also from myself, you know, there, there's this um, there is this kind of reaction that some of us have of like I see this very small, like if I'm just lo looking with uh, my slit lamp and my 90 diopter lens um, or a 78 diopter lens and a dilation. Is that is that really there? Is that little thing I'm seeing is that really there? And if if I say that patient has macular degeneration, um, are they going to really worry? Uh, or if they go see somebody else, are they going to see the same thing? But we remove all of that with devices like an Optos and an OCT. There's no question about that. I mean, they, the what we see with these this instrumentation, in my opinion, is far superior than what we see in this situation with a binocular indirect or a ninety. There's no doubt. Yeah, and it's also it's also monitorable. It's also uh, provable. You know, you can show the patient. So, when in your mind, when you think about you know the the kind of mind shift that we've had over the last five years or so within macular degeneration, I, I'll tell you mine, and you can react to it. Is 
you know, I, I realized that I was probably being kind of defeatist, like, hey, there's not a lot I can do for patients who have macular degeneration until they get wet macular degeneration. And then once they have wet macular degeneration, they go to the, the retinal specialist. Yeah, there's some supplements, but they're not that effective. And, you know, I don't know how long I should leave use them. And, you know, uh, maybe there's some downside. Most of that downside is cost. How did you uh, get around those? Or did you ever have those same sort of um, ideas as a clinician? Well, certainly early on I did, but but then a lot more science came out. Now, I'm a believer, Chris, that as optometrists, we're basically scientists. And I believe when we prescribe for patients, we should be prescribing predicated on science. And and we need to trust what the science says. And um, as, as the years have gone by, and there have been not only studies on the effects of carotenoids, for macular degeneration, there have been repeatable studies and even uh, more studies that have shown the positive effects on uh, on AMD. I mean, I it, it always bothered me to have to wait until the patient became wet to send them something somewhere uh, to have something done. And the issue was the patient didn't come in when they first saw a change in their vision. Yeah. They would say, "Oh, it's been three or four months." Well, that by that point in time. How good can you get their vision even through an anti-VEGF injection? So not good. Uh, I really believe the science is critical. And my big concern today, and I, I hope optometrists look at it this way, is that we should all be reading some of the science and we should need to make sure you understand how to read studies and and what to look at for in studies, just not do the abstract and the conclusion. Because that's not enough. You need to look a little bit in the middle there about what's going on. Look at the graph, see what's happening. And and so I've spent a lot more of my time over the last five, six, seven years looking at the sciences related to what I was doing for my patients in practice. So my comfort level utilizing uh, nutritional supplements was far better. And, and honestly, Chris, I, I know there's a cost factor. Patients don't think twice about spending money on things that help them if you can show it to them and prove it to them. Well, I think that's the the interesting one. And, and I actually had a conversation recently with um, with Kyle Clutie uh, uh, really about that is what you were doing was forming beliefs, right? You, you're, you're looking at the evidence, you're studying the evidence, and you're form, form, formulating a belief about, about what is going to really help this patient. And once you have that belief... Uh, you can't turn away from it. It, it, is, it is intuitively obvious, and you have to help them with it. And anything less becomes a disservice to that patient. And, and that is such a, you know, for a, for a number of things, it's kind of a hard, hard bar to, to overcome if you haven't really evaluated some of those things. Well, I think that's one of the reasons, Chris, that some ODs aren't comfortable managing certain conditions, whether it be glaucoma or AMD, anything that potentially a patient can lose vision, they, they don't hmm. want to be the person that that, that happens under. And, and when I deal with an AMD patient, I don't promise them anything. I say, look, this is what the science shows us. We know it's not a cure, but if we can help manage it and control it over a period of time, that's our goal. So I think setting expectations with mm. the explanation of the science behind it is what's critical. Yeah, well, and, and also, so Harvey, um, kind of, it's always helpful for me to kind of think through, maybe I could refine my messaging. Um, so let me hear uh, uh, how, how you make that. A, so I'm the patient, 
um, you see early changes. We'll, we'll start we're talking about macular degeneration, but obviously we're going to transition into kind of just general um, general ocular health in a second. But you see small drusen in my in my eye, less than the you know it, it keeps me in category two. We'll just say that everything mm-hmm. that you're seeing keeps me in category two. What does it sound like, uh, Doctor Hanlon? How does that sound like to, to patient Chris Wolf? So, uh, Doctor Wolf, let me let me show you first of all what the retina looks like, and I show them a normal retina at that point, and let me show you what occurs sometimes. Uh, in the back of your eye. And these little elevations are called drusen. And drusen are, show early signs of macular degeneration. Now, one important thing, I don't want you to be taken aback with the term macular degeneration because it doesn't mean because you may have early signs that you're going to go blind. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, what it means is we have signs now that we need to look at and try to help manage, much like when your blood pressure is elevated or your blood sugar is elevated, your doctor comes up with ways to try to, to help you. So what I want to do here is I want to explain to you a little bit more about what drusen are, uh, explain to you what I would like to do for you. There are supplementations that have been known, and there's scientific studies to show this to help you in this situation. In fact, I have many cases of patients whose drusen are reduced in size over a period of time, and I've quantified that through the use of OCT follow-up images. Um, So what we're gonna do is we're gonna put you on this. In fact, I take it myself. I have a small drusen in my right eye. I take it myself, and I get my eyes tested as well and making sure of of how it looks. So we're going to do that and we're going to manage you over a period of months to see how it goes and see how things are working out. The goal is, I'm not going to tell you they're going to go away. The goal is, can we keep them from getting worse and can we keep them from starting to migrate into the central seeing part of your eye, which may adversely affect your vision? So I like what you did there. I mean, again, perfect. So when I think about this, it took you basically, I mean, one of the concerns that I have, you know, as a primary care practitioner, I know a lot of others do is, well, how do I go down that road um, with with a patient that that is non-threatening? I I might have some follow-up questions, right? So there might be some follow-up questions. Like, is uh, is there a family history? So is there a genetic component? What caused this, right? So we, we could go through a lot of that. And, and and kind of you've invited some of those questions. But, you know, you've succinctly within a, about a minute to a minute and a half were able to describe the problem, uh, also dispel some of the immediate thoughts that are going to come into your to their minds of, well, this, this means I'm going to go blind, right? So you, you right. immediately dispelled that. And then you talked about th- this as a, a process that you're going to be evaluating. And what was very clear to me is that you've, you've kind of done this a number of times, but you have focused on that messaging from start to finish. And you've also preempted what what you know are going to be common questions because you've done this so often with uh, with answers that you're providing in the context of that initial explanation. And what, what happens, I find, is that if you can do that effectively, then those follow-up questions and the kind of uncertainty that the patient has because maybe they didn't, you didn't explain everything in detail goes away because you've already preemptively addressed those. I suspect you've thought a lot about that. Oh, absolutely. And when you talk about the, the family history, one of the things, obviously, at that point in time, I already have the history 
done as far as family history related to macular degeneration. And I always talk about, do you have a parent or grand, who in your family, if they say, yeah, there's a history of macular degeneration, who in your family has that? Parent or grandparent obviously greatly increases the, the risk factor. So we know that's there. And I, I have to tell you, Chris, one important thing I want to add is that I think one of the problems that docs do when they when they see follow up, the same patient as a follow up, yeah, is they don't go back into that question. So here's what happens: now the patient's a patient of yours for ten years. They now have gone from age thirty to forty. Their parents are now sixty-five. Their grandparents, if they're lucky, who are living are now eighty-five to ninety, who may have developed AMD. Mm since their first time they asked the question. So I repeat that question every time. Has there been any change in your family with macular degeneration? I think we forget that. I don't think we emphasize changes in your family history on subsequent visits. I think that's a great point. I, I think I think that is something I would miss. I mean, you'd say the same thing about glaucoma, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. Okay, so... so one of the things I'm going to uh, have you explain a little bit better in, in terms of your thinking and understanding of, of the evidence that has led you to this is um, I describe myself as a Category 2 patient. And if we look at AREDs, um, both 1 and, and 2 say you shouldn't, you shouldn't really be supplementing a patient in Category 2. What do you say to that? Well, <laughs> my philosophy about AREDs may be different to some people. <laughs> no, That's very I, I think it's yeah. It, it's Good, very old. It's very old science. They came out with an, another update, you know. But but the reality of the initial study and and AREDs too were were in my opinion they were flawed from the very beginning. Um, but it's become the gold standard when you talk to retinal specialists. And I believe that's true because I don't believe a lot of them read the, the newest science that's out there. Um, and, and so I think things change. Uh, AREDs, we also understand if you understand nutrition and supplementation, you should also understand the issue we have with zinc. And so I talk to patients about that because you know that not only are a lot of patients taking Preservision, for example, and I, I feel comfortable mm. talking about it because I talk about it with my patients. Yeah. Um, uh, 80 milligrams of zinc is not acceptable. And, and in fact, we know that people in, uh, in the government believe that, that that is probably not good. But we also know that there are issues with the FDA and, and issues that have gone on over the years. So, so I think it's our obligation if we're really going to do a good job. For our patients, we need to understand what they're taking and understand the nutrition well enough to talk to them. Now, Chris, one of the issues I have is ODs say, I don't have time to do that. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. that's not acceptable to me. My philosophy about practice has been different than, than the vast majority of, of, of younger ODs and that I spend a lot more time with my patients than, than a lot of docs do. And, and that's just because I believe that the patient trusts me, believes me, and as much as my technician can be really, really good, patients still love to talk to their doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. Even, even my, so, um, so one of my associates, uh, I was talking to her yesterday and she had gotten a car accident and her, her, um, you know, her neck still hurt and she hadn't had an x-ray of her neck specifically, uh, but she had seen somebody else. And so she just went to an urgent care because she was having, 
you know, having some of these issues still kind of lingering. And that was her comment. You know, even now, uh, the provider that she saw, um, what I think most of it was just they didn't, she didn't have a relationship with that provider. You know, whatever the qualifications or credentials of the provider was, it was like there was no relationship there. It was like, it was like, yeah, there's no breakage here. There's nothing you need to worry about. You could try this, or you could try that. And there was no certainty or even mm-hmm. a high probability that what she was prescribing or having her do was going to be helpful. So, so as an example, she gave her a Meterol dose pack. Uh, and, and she said, and she gave her some muscle relaxants and she said, okay, try these, see, see how they work. Wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, based on, on the things that we see in patients in your condition, uh, in your situation, this is really likely to help us in the short term, get over the, the problems that you're having. And then in the long term, we have these other things that we may or may not have to manage versus like, yeah, try them. And then she asked him, well, sh- should I see, um, should I see, uh, a, uh, orthopedist or, you know, I, I can't remember what she, what the question was, but, but the answer from that urgent care provider was just like, eh, you could, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> like, I mean, it was just, everything was just kind of, you know, like, go well, try this or try that. And, um, and, and so I think that's the, that's the value of two things. One, having continuity with your provider and two, having a provider who really does understand what the science tells us and what the evidence tells us and can be certain about some things and communicate uncertainty about others. So I, I actually want to go back to uh, your comment about AREDS. You know, I've got my own, um, you know, and, and that's why I said five years ago or so, it kind of evolved my thinking on the limitations of AREDS really became clear. And yours may, may stem from something else, but before I kind of uh, show you mine. Uh, what what is your what when you think about the problems with AREDS and why why it doesn't apply to what we what we see today or why it doesn't apply to the populations that we may want it to apply to? What what was your what's your problems with AREDS? Well, I think the problem first of all was patient selection. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that when you the, the way they selected the patients that are involved in the study didn't, in my opinion, have the vast broad range of what what the patient population should be and and of course the other thing that occurred is is it takes so long to do those studies in a government study that by the time they work on studies there were other supplements that were out there that were never studied and so so when you if you're going to predicate a a long-term treatment plan based on that you have to then update what you're doing. And in fact, there are conversations, interesting enough, when I attended the Bond Conference uh, this past summer in uh, Cambridge, uh, there were conversations about the possibility of a future AREDS-3 study. And, and the conversations at that point occurred that we need to make sure that when they're doing, if they do an AREDS-3 study, that it includes all the newest supplementation and not just what they did back 16 years ago or 18 years ago, because it's, it's, you know, it, it's sort of like the analogy we always use is, okay, I have a cell phone from 2011. Am I going to keep it <laughs> or am I going to get something updated? Yeah. And, and, and that's, so that there, that's the major issue for me. Uh, and then when you get into some of the details of the study, some of it didn't make sense to me. We don't want to get into a lot of the details of that, but just the selection of who was in the study didn't make sense to me to start with. Well, I think I think yeah, I, I would I would agree with all those, and I think the only other fine point that that was really a big one for me, and I'm sure you've you, you kind of alluded to it a, bi- a bit, was just 
you know, the specifically within macular degeneration, um, it is a disease that ha- that la- that starts so long before we see the damage that's occurring from that. Right. That that a ten year study is never going to be able to encapsulate what's going to happen with patients. Um, who have very mild findings, right? Mild ophthalmoscopic findings, or even just, you know, uh, a retina that's not working well. We're never going to be able to encapsulate that and really identify and tease out what's beneficial within that in a study over 10 years by just looking at those things, right? By just looking at Drusen size, by just looking right. at areas of geographic atrophy, by just looking at RPE uh, changes. Um, the likelihood that you're going to change when you have a, a very small Drusen over the course of 10 years is unlikely. But we're not talking about a disease that's a 10-year disease, right? It's a, it's a, probably a disease that spans 20, 30 years before it really starts causing um, Correct. You know, vision loss. And, and that's, just, that's just a flaw of the study. And probably my biggest issue with, with why we can't know, we can't really draw great conclusions from, from AREDS related to early, uh, really early changes with macular degeneration. No, I agree. So, totally. So, so then... Then what is it? What does that all tell you when you think about uh, evidence and science for patients um, who don't have any signs? Right, they they just want better eye function. Talk about that, and, and talk about specifically carotenoids related to you know patients who might be in their forties with no other uh, or thirties with no other changes. Uh, what do you so think I about think, that? I think what we've learned, Chris, is that we need to know what the patient's carotenoid levels are. And, and some of the questions, and if you really delve into, we traditionally have called them lifestyle questions, but, you know, I want to know whether or not they have glare. I want to know what happens at nighttime. I want to know what happens. They don't understand contrast sensitivity, mm-hmm. but I do. And I don't use the phrase contrast sensitivity at all uh, with them Uh but I do explain um, what it means about being able to see the fine, the fine details of things. So, for example, we have patients that come in and say, I'm just not seeing well, but you measure their vision and quantitatively they're seeing 20-20. Well, I, I promise you that you're probably going to find very little change in script that's going to make a not a major change mm. in that VA a lot of times. But if you measure contrast sensitivity, if you talk to them about glare and night vision, you're going to find that that's an issue. And I would also probably venture that that patient probably has a low carotenoid level. But our issue over time is how do we measure it? Mm -hmm. Because much like glaucoma, my glaucoma patients come in and say, okay, doc, what's my number today? Or when I talk about the patient uh, who comes in for an annual diabetic eye exam, we talk about their A1C level. Well, one of the things we've been lacking, in my opinion, is being able to quantify the carotenoid level. And if you can quantify it and explain to the patient what's normal, what's low, what it affects, now you have younger people who want to see better. And our problem is we don't deal with quality of vision enough. We only deal with mm-hmm. quantity because we use Snellen measurements. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you know, in other countries, they actually use contrast sensitivity and, and they're, and they were trying to get a patient to a certain level because they know their quality of vision will be better. So, so I speak about that a lot with patients, uh, feel, feeling more comfortable. If I was in practice right now, 
There's some things happening that I think would be very positive for that discussion of how to show a patient what their, what their carotenoid level is. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch-free, and smudge-free. Now, we have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. So remember that you can provide patients with the best in quality, best in class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash Crizal. I want to discuss the Myday Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in parameters that I want and it needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The Myday Toric features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market. Myday Toric now completely mirrors the Biofinity Toric's parameter range. To be clear, if you find the parameter in a Biofinity Toric, you can find it in a Myday Toric. This Toric lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting. The Myday material is CooperVision's softest one-day silicone hydrogel lens and features Aquaform technology combining a unique balance of high oxygen permeability and natural wettability. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing Myday Toric in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. Well, so the, that's the that's the hard part. So if, if we kind of reverse this and work it backward, you know, you start with like MPOD testing. So right. after the pigment optical density testing. And there's been some challenges related to the reliability and the repeatability and the accuracy of, of that. And largely it's because it's a challenging test. Um, <clears throat> so you talk about, all right, well, that would be, you know, maybe from an ocular standpoint, that would be the best way to, to measure macular carotenoids or macular pigments specifically. But since it's not very reliable, is there anything on the horizon? Well, maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe you don't agree with me. Is it a reliable test? Well, there are only two, in my opinion, there's only two instruments that are reliable, okay? Uh, one is a macular densitometer, which is developed, was developed back at Brown University, not being produced anymore. Some people still have it. It's a more labor-intensive test, so it's not an easy test to do. But it is a very accurate test when you, if you can, if you can do it. The second one, of course, is the one that's been been used over specifically by Dr. John Nolan in Ireland, and that is the autofluorescence, uh, comparative autofluorescence utilizing the Heidelberg spectralis. Uh, that device is not available in this country, nor do I believe it ever will be, because I don't believe Heidelberg will 
get an attempt to get approved by the FDA. So mm. having said that, they're the only two even closely reliable and repeatable instruments. And you know, 99% of the doctors don't have that. So, so now we have to use a different approach. So the, the, the different approach is either plasma, right? So you, you actually are checking blood in the office. Sure. Huh? Or, um, or a, another way to be able to detect that without those invasive means. And so I think from our profession, you know, even from an ophthalmology standpoint, it would be really weird to go into most uh, like primary care ophthalmologist's office or primary care optometrist's office and get your blood checked, like do a no fingerprint. I mean, we could do it, but it's just not, yeah. it's just not really in the wheelhouse of what we do. No, it's not. Um, so, so then there's been some other uh, tests that have been around for a few years that kind of detect that carotenoid levels through the skin. Correct. Are there problems with, with those, or, or is this the future of what we're going to see? Well, I, I think it is. In fact, uh, what we know this, we know that skin carotenoids correlate very closely with plasma carotenoids. And we also know that skin carotenoids uh, align very closely with macular carotenoids. And those studies have been done and they're out there. And so if you can then do a skin level carotenoid and you can manage the patient based on that, we know that if that number goes up utilizing supplementation, that the, there is a extreme likelihood, probably almost 100%, that the macular carotenoids have gone up. Uh, and how do you verify that? So, and by the way, I verify patients on supplementation by an improved contrast sensitivity test that I did in my office. Now, a lot of docs don't use it, but when I get a patient that goes from, you know, 0.8 to 0.6 to 0.4 on their contrast test, I know their carotenoid level is getting better and their contrast sensitivity is improving. Now, let's go back to the skin carotenoids. Um, we know right now out there, there is a, a hand scanner. It's called the S2 by Pharmanex. And the hand scanner is a very good scanner. The one issue I found with the hand scanner, there's actually two issues. One is hmm. it's repeatable if you put your hand exactly right on the scanner. If you don't, that number can drop drastically. Now, they use numbers like 23,000, 46,000, 86,000. Everything's mm. measured in different different numbers. But but you can get a, a big difference on the number if your hand isn't exactly right on the scanner. Um, and so that's critical. So so if you get a bad number, then you say, okay, well, let's wipe this and let's redo it. And, and so I think the repeatability is really critical. Um, the other only issue with, with the Pharmanex scanner is that in order to have a Pharmanex scanner, you have to use the products they have, and, mm. and so you're locked into that. And, and you can't just get the scanner for the sake of getting the scanner. Mm. So there's a, a newer technology out there right now. Well, pa um, I want to pause real quick. Sure. Uh, because I think that's a really good point is like, um, yeah, I... I uh, I have never really looked into that seriously in my practice because of that exact same reason. Really, I mean, like, like if I if I have to use one thing, um, and you're you, I, I'm not really allowed to almost you you know use any other supplementation to check whether or not this is the best thing or not the best thing. Because because the reality is right now, I mean, you know, I'll I'll, I'll just be honest. You know, I we've used. In our practice, we've used MacuHealth for a number of years, um, and I would love, actually, I'd love a really easy way to say, oh, well, 
this is what I'm seeing in my patients. These numbers, I think, should be better. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm going to use another supplement. You know what I mean? And, sure. and maybe I'm going to check another supplement that that uh, to see. Or you know, somebody comes in and they're on MacuHealth, and uh, I I say how are things going, and they say they're good. And I see progression inside their eyes. I can't really know if they're if they're. I'm not saying they're they're uh, telling me the truth on purpose, but if I can get them a, a reliable number, and they say no, I just like with glaucoma. Yeah, doc, I'm using this drop every single night religiously. That's different than a patient that comes in, their pressure's not controlled, and they're and they're say, yeah, I use the drop. Are you sure you're using the drop? Well, you know, I do miss it probably right. five nights a week. I mean, so it it, 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 it immediately becomes a, another source of conversation. First of all, but second of all, if I have that patient that's telling me like, yeah, I'm using, I am taking this just like you prescribe every single day. I never miss, and their numbers are still low. Well, maybe I need to wonder. Okay, am I getting adequate, um, you know, adequate absorption, or maybe? Maybe it's just not as good as I thought it was, and I need to think I need to use something else. But when a company doesn't allow me to do that, right. I'm suspicious. I agree. I agree totally. My I've used the hand scanner. I've been from twenty three thousand to forty six thousand, hmm. and it's all on how you how you hold it. Hmm. Um, but I agree with the second factor. You know, I I want to have an instrument. You know, if 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 a company who sold an OCT said if you buy our OCT, you have to use this. Right. That's you, a you can only use this glaucoma medication yeah. if you That's a if you use this field. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't That's make a sense. Okay. But there is a new uh, another instrument that's coming out. Um, oh, there is. It's it's going to be coming out probably by the time the podcast is released hmm. and that is it's called the Life Meter. And the Life Meter is is going to be sold by MacuHealth. Uh, not developed by MacuHealth. It was developed by a gentleman by the name of uh, Werner Gellerman at the University of Utah. And the life meter utilizes a pressure from your index finger that measures your skin carotenoids. And it is extremely repeatable. In mm. fact, when you do it on the patient, it probably takes two, two and a half minutes total. You get three readings and it gives you the average and it's hooked up to this scan- this, uh, this instrument, which is very small, is hooked up to a laptop. And you put your finger in it, it clamps down on your index finger, and you don't do anything. All it does is test for you. And, and you can't move your finger because it's clamped in. Hmm. So there's not a position instrument. And, in fact, the studies, there have already been studies done to, to check the um, accuracy of this, the finger, the, this life meter, with the hand scanner and they when you do the hand scanner right they correlate directly one to one and and in fact the ramen is the is the standard and the ramen measurement is the standard in skin carotenoids and um and this correlates directly with it so um Full disclosure, you know that I'm a consultant for MacuHealth. Sure, Health. yeah, and, and full four... disclosure, MacuHealth is a sponsor of the podcast. So they're a sponsor. Yeah, I mean... I, I've been I've been honored actually to be a consultant with MacuHealth only because, uh, and I've never, and Chris, I've never in my entire career ever been a consultant with a company. I've lectured for some companies, but never been a consultant. And this is the first time ever. And the reason I did it is because everything they do is based on science. And, and that, that impressed me when I started. It impresses me today. And this is no different. They're entering into a new arena with an instrument, and that's 
Yeah, they an interesting horizon. But but I have to tell you, if I can have, I, we know this about carotenoids. If a patient's carotenoid level goes up, and when they're measured through a macular densitometer uh, or a, and John Nolan has verified this through studies with the um, autofluorescence in the Heidelberg, if they stop taking their supplements, their macular pigment will go down to the level they started at. That's just the way it is. So if you measure a patient and you put them on a supplement, and we use Vacuum Health in the office, that's, I believe, based on Crest 1 and 2 and the triple carotenoids, that, that it is the best at this stage of the game. And I think it probably will be for a while since there's only three carotenoids in the eye and they haven't found a fourth. <laughs> um, uh, you can actually see an increase in the carotenoid level. And then when they come back and you show them that, they're yeah. much more apt to continue taking it on a regular basis. If that carotenoid level goes down, you need to have a serious conversation. Are you still taking your carotenoid, much like the glaucoma patient? And what you're going to find is, well, yeah, but yeah, I miss it a lot, or I forget to take it, or whatever. So it's an exciting technology. I've seen it. I've used it. Um, and I really believe it's going to be something that, that docs are going to do, and, and not just for the AMD patient, but for that yeah. younger person that had the complaint of glare or or uh, poor quality of vision, and we and you measure their carotenoid level and slow. What's the goal? The goal is to increase it and to improve the quality of their vision. So I think I think that you know in my mind, and I I, I definitely want to evaluate the research on this so that sure. you know so I, I can I can see how this is going to work in our practice and see if it. I assume you know coming from you, I think it's probably going to be legitimate. But you know one of my one of my uh, criticisms, I actually I'm doing a a talk in. Um, uh, it Seco uh, that's called New Age uh, New Age Solutions to Dry Eye or something like that. I can't remember exactly how what I titled it, but but essentially what I do is I go through and I, I go through these kind of claims that uh, and then the evidence behind some of the claims uh, for these for these uh, different products, and then I, I I basically put the evidence out there, and then what I do is I ask I ask a polling question about what somebody thinks about that evidence. Like, do they need more evidence? Do they need to see it for themselves? And then um, and then I I ask them, you know, uh, then I'll show we'll get the sense of that. And then what I do is, I, and I actually I'm one of the people in in one of the kind of theoretical, uh, well not theoretical, but one of those new age things. And I'll ask them, does it, then I'll show them who's on the medical advisory board. And the whole idea is teasing out, does it now change your opinion about mm -hmm. what this claim is because of somebody else who's on that advisory board who has some big name? And my suspicion is that it will change people's opinion and, and because it changes my opinion sure. in a lot of ways. And so, sure. so that's kind of what I, I, I have to guard against. And, and so that's why I'm, I'm interested in reading through some of this stuff. But, but if, if it's the case that it's repeatable, like you're describing, mm -hmm. if it's the case that I can correlate skin carotenoids to serum carotenoids, and I know that serum carotenoid levels as those go up, you know, um, macular pigments uh, will go up as well. So yes. I already know those things. And so if I can make sure that the first one is repeatable, um, uh, and, uh, and actually reflects the, the serum carotenoid levels, then it's a, it's, it's an end game, you know, clinically, because it allows me to know like exactly what you're saying. Okay. Well, 
Are we supplementing appropriately? Are you adherent to your medications? Do we need to change therapy? Uh, and even just from a patient um, adherence standpoint, like they know they're coming in, um, we better make sure that, that those numbers are going to be up. And it's probably not, based on my recollection of studies in serum carotenoids, it's not something you can cheat easily because no. you'll you can you even if they took it like a week before, they're probably not going to see changes enough changes for that one week before. Correct. You're correct. Yeah. So what yep, do, you, do you recall what's the duration of, of like consistent supplementation that you're that you're needed in order to elevate those? Is it month? Is it two months? Is it? It's it's roughly month? two months. Everybody they'll vary a little bit, and obviously we know we're talking about a supplement that's that's uh, oil based, not water based, right. uh, because it's got to penetrate into the retina. Uh, they found that that you can increase carotenoid levels pretty well within within about 60 some patients 90 days which is why when i put a patient on MacuHealth in the office I, I i didn't bring them back for at least three months the first time and then i would extend it after that to like six months uh, or a year depending upon the patient uh but that's that's how long it takes to get that level up so yeah you were right if you decide to take it five days before you come in it's not going to show that much much of an increase it's just not long enough yeah no this is pretty cool yeah, we're, right, so, we're actually going to be presenting this, just so you know. We're going to be presenting it at the Vision Source meeting. Um, oh, you it's are? Be, it's, yeah, we are. We, we actually have uh, uh, an hour that we're presenting it with Dr. Nolan's coming over from Ireland, Dr. Jim Stringham, who's the chief scientific officer from, uh, from uh, Macu Health, and I are going to be presenting the life meter, the studies behind it, the correlation of the three, the macular pigment, serum plasma, and um, skin carotenoids, going to explain how it works, going to explain everything regarding ROI on the instrumentation, the whole the whole thing. So it, and it's and something... That's, that's this month. That's this month when I get to see you in two weeks. No. Or, this is at, oh. the, that's, is at the exchange in April. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, what yes. we'll have to do for sure is we're going to have to just do a roundtable discussion on this podcast with it. Absolutely. Since everybody's going to be there. Uh, yeah. Maybe even we do it over a cocktail. Uh, we don't normally drink, but we'll make an exception for you. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's, I, I wouldn't make you do that. You could do, you could do like a Diet Coke or something. <laughs> I, I actually don't believe that as, as, uh, as John is from, as John is from Ireland, I don't believe yes. he doesn't drink. Uh, trust me. I, I was in Ireland this summer. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, Harvey, I'm going to, I'm going to, this actually, this isn't where I completely anticipate, but you've got my interest for sure. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. And, um, and you know, uh, anybody wants to reach out to you, let them know where they can reach out to you. Um, sure. Thanks for, in general, you know, thanks for all the stuff you've done for our profession and the, th the things that you continue to do for our profession. You've been a, you know, a, a mentor to me over the years, and I really appreciate it. And I can't practice the way I practice without guys like you and you well, specifically. I, I appreciate that. You know, my career has changed. It used to be political, and now it's gotten more scientific, which has really been fun. Uh, I'm enjoying this at, later on in my career. But you can reach out to me. Um, my email address is hhanlon at comcast.net. Um, I also am more than willing to speak to anybody on my cell. It's 814-880-5850. Um, I love talking to ODs. I love having ODs become progressive and successful and, and just have loved the profession my entire life. So it's uh, been special for me. And obviously, Chris, it's been special getting to know you and 
We did a podcast a few years ago, which was really enjoyable, and uh, and I'm really happy to be back. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Harvey. That that podcast was fun for me too, and I think it kind of one of the things that this podcast allows me to do is it it, it really does allow me to cement uh, relationships that I would you know, that I otherwise would have known those people, but not at the level. And that's really where I get spoiled with this. Is I I feel like I have these really good bonds um, because. I'm able to have good conversations with people and that's a blessing that, uh, that I, I think about all the time. So yeah. thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much.